Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. It is time to connect with our good friend Claire Newell from Travel Best Bets. How you doing, Claire? Oh, Jody, it's you. It's great. I'm great. I'm glad to chat with you. I was expecting it to be Jill. I forgot that you were uh, filling in. She her. gets some much, much deserved vacation time. Hopefully she's traveling somewhere. Hopefully she's navigating travel with a plum. I'm sure she is. <laughs> I'm um, sure she is. Many of us are trying our best to uh, figure out a way to get back to travel. We have seen the busyness of airports and, and some flight disruptions due to staffing issues and what have you. But one of the biggest questions uh, must be being asked is of the return of random testing to some airports in Canada. What do you know? Oh, I can tell you it's probably the number one question I'm getting right now is like, how is it actually going to work? So um, so all vaccinated travelers entering Canada through our country's four largest airport hubs. So that's Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto and Montreal are subject to these random COVID-19 testing once more. So you might remember the program was actually briefly suspended in June for air travelers. And that was while the government transitioned away from um, the on te- on-site testing that they were doing at airports. So now the process, it's actually fairly simple. But if you haven't been through it before, this is how it's going to work. The ArriveCan app, which, as you know, is mandatory for all people entering Canada, regardless of citizenship or vaccination status, it's actually programmed to randomly select vaccinated travelers for testing. So once you've submitted the customs declaration form, Within about 15 minutes or so, Jody, you'll get this email explaining that you've been selected and, and how to proceed, and you'll be instructed to make an appointment either at a designated test provider or pharmacy or to set up a virtual appointment for a self-swab test. Really important to remember, you know, the ones that you can get free from the pharmacy, those yep. are not going to be good enough. Okay. Um, they, they, they have to be the ones that are actually given to you, and you do it in front of um, someone by telehealth. Now... This is the, the, the tricky part because a lot of people don't know what happens if you are a fully vaccinated traveler and you're randomly tested and you actually test positive. So, um, first of all, you aren't actually required to quarantine while you await the test result, but the test has to be done within one day of your arrival back into Canada. And if you do test positive, ugh, this is the bummer to stay isolated for 10 days from the date that you received the results. So even if you're in a province or territory with less stringent quarantine requirements, you still have to avoid contact with others for that full 10 days. So a lot of people, this is a hurdle that they they may not want to travel for. And I get it. Um, Random testing still applies, though, for land borders. Just a reminder of that. Vaccinated um, uh, people coming across land borders. For unvaccinated Canadians, rules haven't changed. You still have to do that pre-arrival test. Then again, on day two, day eight uh, of the 10-day quarantine, and unvaccinated foreign citizens still can't come in. Um, unvaccinated and partially vaccinated children under the age of 12, not required to provide a, that um, valid pre-entry test result if they're accompanied by fully vaccinated adults. And then, of course, kids who are less than five, they're not required to test regardless of their vaccination status. So hopefully that will help people know what they need to do. The one question that comes to mind for me is when it was announced that the random testing was coming back after the pause in June, as you mentioned, they were saying, well, but it's not going to happen at the airport. So it's like, okay, well, if you have to make an appointment at a destination, do we know where that is for YVR? Like, do we know where we might have to go if we don't do it virtually? 
Well, there's a list. There's a list of okay. um, places, including pharmacies. So hopefully okay. they're not too far away from people when they need to do it. Or um, if you can do a, a virtual appointment, that is for sure the easiest. It's those self-swab tests in front of the telehealth. I, I like those better. Yeah. Um, I know that we've been talking about this, but one of the other things that I, I know people, there's the kind of the log jam in travel right now is the passport issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a little bit of good news that there were there are now uh, a few more, actually five of them, new passport pickup locations across Canada. And one of those happens to be in Richmond. Great. So for the, the greater Vancouver area, that's going to be helpful. And the other thing was um, that just came out was that Canadians who mailed in their applications more than 20 business days ago, and if they're traveling in the next 20 business days, they can actually go directly to one of 300 Service Canada centres across the country to make a transfer request um, just oh. to ensure their documents are processed in time. Up until now, Jody, Canadians yeah. could only do a request to transfer in person, and there were only 35 specialized passport offices nationwide. So this will be way easier for people if they need that expedited uh, service and they've mailed it in. Well, that is that is a great move in the right direction. Shall we put that there? Let's <laughs> yeah, do that. Like hopefully for those who, because you say, oh yeah, pick up in person. Well, you can't even get into the offices because the lineups don't move. Um, no. So there's a little bit of relief there. I mean, thank goodness. Let's talk about JetBlue and Spirit and that deal. Yeah. So, you know, JetBlue and Spirit are low cost carriers based in the U.S. And JetBlue for the very first time are coming into the Canadian market, and it happens to be here at YVR. They had originally planned to do New York and Boston. They're only doing New York right now. Um, obviously, the airlines have had a tough go getting staffing, and, and the, that secondary route of Boston wasn't able to. But um, it's it's going to become more popular here in Canada. I mean, it's great that there's that new nonstop to, to JFK with JetBlue for for um, Vancouverites or people right. who live here in BC and willing to head to YVR. Yep. But they actually inked a deal to acquire Spirit Airlines. Big deal, three point eight billion, uh, and they the the combination, which will be under the JetBlue label, will actually create the U.S.'s fifth largest airline. They're wow. going to be uh, way bigger and better JetBlue, more than uh, no the combined will be 1,700 daily flights to more than 125 destinations. So this is a very big deal. Uh, and I really do hope that we see, you know, any any additional airlines that come into Canada to certain destinations, especially when they're popular ones, is good news yeah. for consumers because it tends to bring the price down. I, I was just going to say my favorite two words, low cost. Yeah. Let's talk about Air Canada Air Canada and United Airlines and their joint business agreement. Yeah, they uh, Air Canada and United Airlines, as many people know, have what's called a code share agreement. It means that you can get an Air Canada ticket. And even if uh, Air Canada's hardware, their, their aircraft, don't actually fly there, you can be ticketed and be on United Airlines, but be getting your aeroplan points and all of that. They are right. part of Star Alliance, and that kind of helps with that relationship. But what they've done is they've announced a joint uh, business agreement between Canada and the U.S. transborder market, which is so, so popular. Um, so this will now connect 38 code share destinations in the U.S. and eight of the most popular cities in Canada. So, of course, many of those will be out of YVR. And you'll get the benefits if you're flying with these on on these new routes, the carrier's mileage plus or the aeroplan loyalty programs 
depending on which program you're part of. I know here in Canada, so many of us are part of Aeroplan. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I try and mm-hmm. uh, collect points however I can. So this will be helpful for people who like to do that, especially business travelers who I know tend to kind of focus on one airline. I know leisure travelers, they just will go with whichever is the cheapest yeah. uh, unless they've got, you know, close to elite status or whatever. But it's, uh, it is a bonus, especially for those business class travelers. Indeed it is. And when you travel, you should go through a travel agent, especially in these times of ever-evolving, changing, switching, happening, luggage issues, cancellations, (laughs) and what have you. And I know that if I travel, I go through TravelBestBets.com. You're the best. Thank you so much for your time today, as always. Thanks, Jody. Have a great week. Cheers. Jody Vance in for Jill, and as promised, we're connecting now with the Executive Director of Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers, Linda Annis. Good to speak with you again, Linda. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Always good to speak with you, Jody. We were chatting earlier on the program about some random acts of, uh, well, violence, frankly, swarming teens and pepper spray and, and, and right down to your car getting tossed and what have you. People not reporting these things to police, thinking that snitches get stitches and worried about being the person to call out these violent attacks. How does Crime Stoppers work for these families and teens and kids who should be reporting what they know or what they see? Well, Crime Stoppers is a great program. It provides anonymity right from the get-go. So if someone calls Crime Stoppers, we don't want their name, we don't take their phone number, we don't take their address. They deal only with us, and the information is passed on to the police. The police then will investigate, and um, if someone is arrested or charged, they will never know who it was that reported the information. And the individual that reported it is protected by the Supreme Court of Canada. Really important piece of that puzzle is how protected those who report these crimes are. And we can take this all the way up the, the food chain to the, the gang violence that we're seeing. We, we're, we're seeing unprecedented violence on the streets of Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, up in Whistler, people being murdered in broad daylight. If somebody knows something, they can call Crime Stoppers without concern or worry about retribution from gangsters, right? They sure can, and it's really important that people um, call if they know something. The police can't be everywhere, and oftentimes we think a little piece of information that we know or that we think isn't all that important. Well, let's let the police decide about that. If you know something, it's really important that we all play a role in keeping our communities safe. What kind of information does Crime Stoppers need when somebody is reporting a crime? Is there sort of a checklist that we should be aware of? There's no real checklist because every um, suspected criminal activity is different, but just be prepared to be able to provide as much information as you are comfortable with and that you uh, believe is true. Uh, And if you don't, you know, speak English, you speak another language, we can help you out still. We do take tips in 115 different languages. Wow. Okay. Reiterate the, the phone number and the web address for us, please, Linda. So the phone number is 1-800-222-TIPS, or you can leave uh, a tip on our website. It's totally confidential. We don't trap your IP address, www.solvecrime.ca. Okay, so solvecrime.ca is the web address, and 222-TIPS, 1-800-222-TIPS? That's correct, 1-800-222-TIPS. That's the easiest way to go about things. Solvecrime.ca. Solvecrime.ca. I got to put that in my my memory bank. But 1-800-222-TIPS is is a great one to put in your phone. 
And even easier, we have an app. Uh, you can go to the Android store or to uh, the um, iTunes store and download yeah. a P3 app. And you can have that on your phone. So if you see something, you know, that, that seems suspicious um, in nature, it doesn't even have to be a crime. It might be somebody that looks suspicious in your neighborhood or right. somebody that you're seeing, you know, wandering around cars that looks like they're up to no good. If you don't feel comfortable calling the police, call Crime Stoppers or leave a tip through our P3 app or through uh, our website. So we search Crime Stoppers when we go to the App Store, P3 app? That's correct, P3. Okay. Thank you so much, Linda. There's some information that we can all use. Linda Annis, the Executive Director of Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers. Always good to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. No shortage of opinions when it comes to municipal politics, and uh, that applies all over British Columbia. However, the largest city in our province certainly has a very loud uh, race going on right now as we run towards October 15th, 2022, when we all head to the polls, or at least we all should turn out abysmal perennially when it comes to civic politics, when it comes to municipal elections. However, perhaps people will be motivated as they get more and more engaged in politics as so much has been on the front burner in recent months and in fact years through this pandemic with COVID-19. Polls are a big deal. People love to track them, some more nerdy than others. I'm certainly tied into the polls as George Affleck and I regularly uh, speak to them on our Unspun podcast or here filling in on CKNW. And oftentimes when there's something going on with municipal politics, I will tap into a good friend, former colleague of mine, Kirk Lapointe. He is Business in Vancouver's publisher and editor-in-chief and a former mayoral candidate in the city of Vancouver. Always good to chat with you, Kirk. Hi, Jody. Good afternoon. Let's talk about this polling that is uh, making the rounds right now, and certainly business in, in Vancouver is where you can find out more about it. Uh, Glenn Korstrom wrote a column yesterday in BIV. Go to BIV.com to read it. It's, uh, it's fascinating numbers. Can you break down what you're seeing happening here in Vancouver? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for the plug. Um, this, the thing is, um, the Main Street uh, poll in this case found that there was still a 40% undecided rate. And that's not unusual at the stage of a campaign. When I ran in 2014, I can recall that, you know, inside 75 days or so of the uh, of the election, uh, we were still, you know, still at 35, 40% undecided. People take a lot of time, even though municipal government is the most relevant in your life, uh, to figure things out and um, to get attached to it. Um, the campaign really hasn't started in great earnest yet. Uh, people are not out there doing rallies terribly much, but that'll come about. I mean, because the election has, of course, moved ahead from November to October in the last couple of uh, sessions, uh, they better get at it quickly. But I think what I see is that uh, there's um, potentially a four-way split of the votes that last election went to Kennedy Stewart and uh and Shauna Sylvester and, and, and the four others that are now in the race are likely going to split the votes that were, that were really against uh, uh, Kennedy Stewart. And um, I have the sense that there's too many of them in the race. And I've written about this a couple of times. Uh, and yet I, I know all four of them, and I don't think any of the four of them are going to disappear or take their names off the ballot. All right, so let's talk about the reasoning behind that. Because, I mean, you, you've written about it 
plenty. I love reading your articles on this because you do have the insider's POV in BIV, pardon me, uh, that it, it, seriously, it happens this, it, it, for, for so many of us, the, the world is so busy. The news cycle is chaotic. More people know what's going on in U.S. politics than municipal politics. And yet yeah, right. nothing's more yeah. vital than where our tax dollars go where we live, right? So being engaged in this, like when we're looking at the the, the current slate of candidates and where they fall on the political st- spectrum. When we're talking left, center, center, right, or further to the right. And, and usually when we talk about left and right in municipal politics, we're talking about fiscal conservatism more so than what we would reference in, in terms of U.S. politics when talking left and right. Is that fair to say? Uh, I'd say so. And I mean, I think you could kind of demarcate it as uh, progressive uh, right. as opposed to conservative. And Vancouver is a progressive city. There's no question. It elects uh, NDP uh, MLAs. It elects uh, Liberal and NDP MPs. Um, you know, there are no Conservative MPs here. And, uh, and the council itself is ostensibly um, center or center left or left. Um, and, and what you had in the 2018 election were two uh, candidates to the left, Kennedy Stewart and Shauna Sylvester, she drew 35,000 votes. And then you had a, a group uh, to the right of them uh, that included Ken Sim, who, of course, is running again, uh, who didn't lose by many votes, less than 1,000 votes. Um, but uh, And you had two or three others uh, stationed to the right. The question now will be, um, is anybody um, going to emerge from this pack of four? And And the only person, I think, who would be defined as a centrist or maybe even a center-left person would be Mark Marison among that group. But the rest would be certainly aligned to the right of, uh, of Kennedy Stewart. And Kennedy Stewart has no very clear left-of-center person, again, Mark Marison being a bit ambiguous on this one, um, a left-of-center person running uh, on, on to the left. So he stands to gain a lot of the votes that last election would have gone to Sean Sylvester. So, so to me, the dynamic, if you're trying to upset the, uh, the incumbent, um, the, the dynamic doesn't work for us terribly well in the city if that's the, the objective. These people may, frankly, gobble up each other's votes and split them in such a way that Kennedy Stewart could easily win again with you know, the uh, voting in the 30s in terms of the percentage. Right. 30 percent of people turn out to vote in a municipal election in the city of Vancouver and 100 percent of people who are eligible to vote in the city of Vancouver complain about who ends up being elected. That we yeah, can it's count al- it's on. It's always worth asking someone when they complain, uh, who did you vote for last time? Mm-hmm. And that's usually when the conversation goes quiet. Yeah. yeah, it does. So take me back to 2014. And when when you talked about how Ken Sim only lost by, you know, a few hundred votes, was it Shauna Sylvester who was spoiler? Was it a Shauna Sylvester vote rather than a vote for Ken Sim that handed the mayor's office to Kennedy Stewart? Or would Kennedy Stewart won by more had Shauna Sylvester not run? Um, I think he would have won by more. Um, and I think that uh, had the campaign ran a little longer, she might have very well won. Um, she, her numbers surged in the last couple of weeks, and, um, and she was clearly on uh, with some momentum. I remember in 2014 when I ran, um, we, we peaked actually about a week and a half before the vote. 
um, and and our overnight polling had me ahead for for a few days, and then we lost by four points. Um, and and a lot of that had to do with the fact that the the incumbent mayor uh, expressed a grand apology to the community mm-hmm. and was able that. to make people feel like okay he's learned his lesson and uh, uh, and so, uh, so so you know the, the momentum shifts can be quite strong in the last 30 days so we're nowhere near that yet I mean people are still I don't know they, you probably are surprising people who are listening right now in some cases that there even is a municipal election in October so and we, we would find people on the streets shaking hands with people who would say, you know, there's an election, you know, so, yeah. so that that's going to happen. And, um, and I, that's why I think polling at this stage probably isn't a, a clear predictor when you have this many people uh, who have yet to decide. Jody Vance in for Jill this week. And I'm with my friend Kirk Lapointe. He is the business in Vancouver publisher and editor in chief, former mayoral candidate. And uh, you can read Kirk on BIV.com. Always a great read. Always some insights uh, that perhaps the layperson like me might not realize or recognize. I learn something every time you and I have an opportunity to chat, Kirk. So thank you for giving us some time to bend your ear today. Let's get into the Vancouver Charter. It's the one thing that I hear all the time. You mentioned how, you know, Jim and Joan public often don't even know there's a municipal election coming up on October 15th of this year. So we're, we're counting down to it. But they also don't perhaps know the inner workings of the city of Vancouver in particular. And oftentimes I hear, well, Vancouver's unique because... And it often comes back to the Vancouver Charter. Can you help us yeah. navigate that, please? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we don't have time for the big, long history lesson. But <laughs> sensibly, when it comes to the mayoralty, um, you have to recognize that the mayor um, is often very much offset by a council. I mean, if a mayor does not have five willing accomplices for any vote that's coming forward, um, there, there's, the mayor becomes powerless. And so that's why, in a lot of ways, the party system and the slates that often get created are designed to form a voting block so that, you know, initiative after initiative can pass without running into um, the, the, the kind of uh, turbulence that some of these in the last few years have run into. The last, last council of this nature, of course, was the Vision Vancouver Council that yeah. Gregor Robertson oversaw. And, and he had a block that really did vote um, 100% aligned, uh, didn't really digress from any of this. So, so what you got is, you know, the mayor that it, it's, it's of course symbolic. It's an important person. It's the public facing person. It's the, in a way, it's the representative of the community. But that mayor is not particularly empowered if the mayor does not have uh, five councillors. And I guess one of the arguments that I've made uh, with seeing seeing the four four people up against Kennedy Stewart who are trying to unseat him is that I, I think each of those four would probably be very valid council candidates with their own constituencies and would likely gain a seat. I mean, one of them already has it in, in the case of Colleen Hardwick. Yeah. So the idea, and, and John Cooper, of course, is a park board commissioner. So you'd, you really only need a couple of other people. You wouldn't even need to necessarily win the mayoralty to ensure that what you're doing is guiding the agenda of council. Now, the mayor, the mayor, formally does set the council agenda, but the mayor can't do that if, if there is highly resistance, if there's a block of six that are up, up against. And, and I think that that's where uh, these candidates are missing the point is that their, their consideration and running 
and their ambition and their, their purpose is to try to serve the city, they likely stand a better mathematical chance of succeeding if they were to run as counselors and to, or to have one of them stand forth for mayor and have three of them run for council seats. And then all they really need to do are find two other fellow travelers and they rule the roost. I don't see massive differences. I see some, but I don't see massive differences ideologically between these four challengers to Kennedy Stewart. Um, and I don't see a whole lot of alignment between any of the four of them with Kennedy Stewart. So like I say, um, I, I think that for those that want the incumbent upset in this case, the four opponents of him are, are likely to simply carve up, uh, you know, carve up the opposition vote in such a way that they don't get past him um, at come October 15th. The incumbent wins if the vote gets split three different ways on the four other side. Of this, four, different four different ways. ways. That's it. Right. Four right. Indeed. Ways. Yeah. 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 Oh, we're with Kirk LaPointe, uh, a business in Vancouver, publisher and editor in chief in Glacier Media. And, and Kirk, I want just we've only got like a minute and a half here. But when it comes to how you view the city differently, perhaps than when you ran for mayor back in 2014, can we put the bulk of responsibility on what we've seen devolve in the city on City Hall, or is it more of a shared responsibility between City Hall and the provincial government and the federal government, given that we are the largest city in, in the province? I mean, my main criticism, Jody, has been, and, and this has been a criticism for almost as long as I've lived here, which is that the city overreaches. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it spends a lot of its effort and, frankly, a lot of the money um, around things that are not properly inside its jurisdiction. You know, it, it's it. You know, it's going to spend seven hundred thousand dollars next year to be part of a of a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit against Big Oil. You know, and 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 meantime, you know, we've got uncleanliness in the streets and and a fair amount of uh, of, of activity that I think people would like cleaned up. I mean, those those the kind of distraction um, works though. It has worked uh, for uh, leaders of parties and mm-hmm. and for candidates because they give us a sense of feeling better that we're doing our bit to save the planet or to try to wipe out homelessness or to do any of these things. And yet cities are not strong enough on their own to do any of these things. Um, But what they can do is make sure the garbage is picked up. The streets are clean. I love that. The police are providing safety. I love my garbage picked up. And yeah, you know, like all of those basic things, the water's clean, you know, we're not putting sewage into the false creek. All of those types of things are fully within a city's empowered. And, and when you get distracted from that, um, it, it may get you some votes, make, make people feel good and be aspirational. It doesn't do anything to necessarily the serve, serve the purpose of, of what a city is supposed to do by itself. Something tells me we'll be talking again, Kirk LaPointe. Thank you for giving me your time today. Thank you, Jody.